0: Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian immigration podcast. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the dreaded employer portal. Something you need to use, but something you hate to use.
1: The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating with the Canadian immigration department, making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer there are a few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holtby, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way.
0: journey business plans is the leading immigration business plan writing service provider in canada with more than 10 years of experience journey has grown to become a trusted partner for immigration consultants and lawyers journey focuses on preparing business plans for a number of immigration applications including intercompany transfers startup visas significant benefits self-employed pnps and so much more their main competitive advantages are reliability, responsiveness, and overall customer service, and I can attest to that. For those of you who don't yet know about Journey, ask your colleagues about them. They're amazing. Or even better, try out their work. You can visit their website at www.joorney.ca and mention you listen to my podcast with the code Journey 10 That's H-O-L-T-H-E-J-O-O-R-N-E-Y number 10. And that'll provide you with a 10% discount on your very first business plan for new lawyers. We're so grateful to have Journey Business Plans as the title sponsor of this podcast. Well, everyone, welcome back to episode 120. I'm here as always with my faithful compadre, Alicia backman Bahari. How are you, Alicia?
1: I'm doing well, Mark. And this is a topic that we often get questions about, the employer portal. And I think it's helpful to situate our our listeners here. So we're talking now about situations where you realize that you have an employee who requires an employer-specific work permit But the good news is, is for some reason, they're LMIA exempt. And we've talked a little bit about who is LMIA exempt. We'll talk about that more. But for now, we really wanted to talk about, okay, if you know that you have to use this employer portal, because it's a worker that requires a work permit, employer specific, LMIA exempt, what do you do as an employer?
0: And I think we've uh, appropriately entitled this episode, pain and suffering for a reason. And with the introduction of two-factor authentication across all business lines of immigration it is causing significant hassle and pain you know especially for us as representatives when we're trying to work with our clients and to coordinate things because in the past alicia before the importal was a reality things were pretty simple pretty straightforward and uh, i remember when i first started practicing if you had someone who was applying for say an old nafta professional work permit You know, they could call you literally when the employee was on the plane flying and say, oh, we forgot about the work permit. You could put together a package quick, get them to, you know, sign and and scan back the employer letter. And really they have, you know, if they had a copy of the individual's professional qualifications, their degree diploma whatever license, you could pretty much, you know, fax it to the port of entry. It would be there waiting when the, you know, with the individual arrived and they'd get their work permit on the spot that does not exist anymore. Now all employers have to register.
1: Yeah. For a while they had a form, right? So they said, okay, now there's going to be this $230 employer compliance fee payable to the government. And they had a form. So some, some listeners might remember the IMM 5802.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And instead of having a form now, There's the employer portal. So the employer portal supposedly is taking the place of the form if this is getting coded directly into IRCC's system. And only if the portal is completely not working can employers ask for permission in an alternate format to use the old IMM 5802 form itself.
0: Indeed. And it's, it's interesting because there are days when an individual could you know, need to travel on short notice and the portal is down and uh, mm-hmm. which causes its own issues, and let alone the individual arriving at the port of entry and the ability to print the work permits or access to GCMS is down. So it's not just as representatives, but um, I- the individual border service officers who are also uh, charged with issuing the work permits. And we haven't seen the GCMS system completely down for a little bit. But there have been times when it's caused significant pain and suffering. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's much more complex now than it ever used to be. But Alicia, there's a reason why they instituted this and uh, why they decided they needed to get employers to register these job offers before they came to Canada. And I'll let you answer that.
1: <laughs> well, it's because they want to draw everybody under the employer compliance regime. And it used to be... Largely employers who under the, who were under the temporary foreign worker program, well, they knew that if they needed an LMIA, they better darn well have had all of their advertising, all of their um, compliance requirements clearly met by HR in terms of who they were paying, how they were paying them, the wages they were paying, the employment locations, the job duties, all that. But it was kind of like the IMP was falling through the cracks in the past because there wasn't a good mechanism for every employer to be logged and to make sure that officers could come and do inspections and make sure that under the IMP employers were following the rules and this is now the advent of the employer compliance portal and so employers have to go ahead and register for an account and this sometimes takes a little bit longer than people anticipate so if you don't have a proper CRA business number for your company right away you've got a problem you can't register for that account so that's the first step is registering for this employer portal account
0: and one thing I'll add as well and many employers experienced this through the pandemic when everything was shut down and you were not accessing the portal if you have not and you're an HR manager a a global mobility specialist out there and you have not applied for a Canadian work permit and you have been in the past using the employer portal understand that you can time out and, uh, mm-hmm. and your access, you know, you you, ha- you can you can lose your access to your own account and then you have to reset it up. And so be be aware. I, I don't know, is it a year, Alicia? I can't remember how long before it times out. I believe it is a year. Mm-hmm. So absolutely watch out for that. Okay, so when you're registering for this portal account, Alicia, um, one of the things that we've discovered is that because of the two-factor authentication, just because of the way that we work with employers, it's sometimes useful for us to be set up as alternate users on that account. Maybe you can touch on that a little bit.
1: Mm -hmm. And this is also just useful for any employer who, you know, you never want to have the only one person being able to access this employer portal account in case that person is away on holidays or they're just not able to recover their password or anything goes wrong you want to have or they're terminated or
0: they quit and just leave without any Mm -hmm. notice
1: Mm -hmm. you want to have at least a few people who can access this employer portal account so you're it's going to have a primary user and then there's going to be authorized secondary users. And so make sure that you set up a number of authorized secondary users, one of which can be your immigration lawyer. And that way, everybody has a way to access this portal and you're not hopefully going to lose your ability to file these employer portal offers of employment when you really need to have an executive fly in tomorrow.
0: Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so follow those steps and avoid that uh, that pain and suffering at that level. And, you know, when it comes to completing it, and we might talk about this a little bit later, but there's remember there's also, when it comes to paying with credit cards and things like that, uh, if the company is paying and you're assisting with filing, um, even if they were to give you their credit card information, there's two-factor authentication associated with it. And we experience it within the firm. And, uh, you know, there's there's little workarounds. And one thing we recommend for for counsel out there, if you have one firm credit card, that you always use the email notification uh, for the two-factor authentication and then have that forwarded um, as a rule within your Outlook or your email, um, your email system uh, to forward those two-factor authentications to the people that need them. Otherwise, the person who has the, uh, you know, that the, the card is directly linked to. Um, has to be on call. And we experienced that initially. And and what happens when it times out if you don't respond quick enough, Alicia?
1: Oh, I have a horror story, Mark. I have a few horror stories from that. I don't know if it was a portal glitch. So it it might be, it might very well have been an issue because there was a, a time a few months ago where they were having issues with their payment interface and their payment provider. But what was happening was and this is why we have a tip a little bit later on that we will tell you about. But it is so important that you are able to enter that two-factor authentication not only on registering into your account but on the payment of the credit card when you go to enter that 230 dollars payment within like literally a couple minutes it says you have 20 minutes to complete that payment and they lie it is not 20 minutes it will time out after i believe it's maybe three minutes to be safe, I try to never let it go more than two minutes before you've entered that payment information and got the verification code entered back because what happened was I had drafted the entire employer offer of employment through the portal. Employer had signed off, everything was good, we were making sure to enter payment, and you know, we we tried to get that two factor verification code, and unfortunately, you know, we weren't able to get it in within less than two minutes and within about six minutes I think it was and within six minutes we entered the verification code and then the entire application was hung up and so it it said processing payment and it had that you know little circular endlessly rotating Mm -hmm. circle and when you and it kicked you off and so when you logged back on then it shows processing payment indefinitely. And normally when you have a draft employer offer, you can go back in, you can duplicate it, you can modify it. But no, when it's hung up like this, you can't modify it, you can't duplicate it, you can't resurrect it. It is just into the void and we'll have to go back and check if it's charged our credit card on that. But there was no way to access that account again. And basically I had to start all over again from the very beginning and redo the entire thing, which is very frustrating. So we have a little tip later on about how to deal with that.
0: Yeah, that's an understatement. All right, let's take a look at this offer of employment itself, Alicia. So it was fairly straightforward, fill in the answers, you know, and um, uh, all of the forms, pay the fee and submit it. And it was it was fairly simple. Then, this past fall—well, boy, past fall, a year ago, September twenty-six, mm-hmm. two thousand twenty-two—they instituted some new requirements, and they are constantly look, constantly looking for ways to try to curb the fraud, the exploitation of workers, um, just the abuse that's within the program. And even now, you know, I, I, if you were to pull up, uh, we're recording today, October the fourth. 2023. This episode, if you were to go and search in the news, all kinds of articles on just the corruption that exists within the various programs, especially the temporary foreign worker program. But you know, um, you know, uh, people paying thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars for job offers, and and uh, it, you know, em- employers who basically are, are taking that fee and then the person's paying their own wages, essentially buying their their job offers for the purposes of express entry, which of course is, is illegal. But, uh, but all of this is designed to try to get, let employer, uh, employees know what their rights are, but maybe you can just go in and we've got a blog post on that. We'll make sure that we get that, uh, that blog post in, in the show notes. But if you go to healthy uh, uh, Leisha wrote a, a great little blog post and I'm just going to pull it up here. Let's see if I can find it. I have it here, now it's disappeared on me. Uh, what's it called, Alicia?
1: It's called uh, New Requirements for Canadian Employers who Employ Foreign Nationals.
0: There you go. There you have it. So definitely check that blog post out. But Alicia, do you want to give us a little bit of an overview on, uh, on you know, the, this new requirements and, and what employers are now charged with the responsibility of doing?
1: Mm-hmm. And so- keep in mind and we've talked about this in other podcasts there are violations right there are fines there are sanctions there is the expulsion from the program there's a blacklist there's you know if it gets bad enough they can actually pursue criminal criminal consequences of employing a foreign national without authorization but be really careful. There's type A violations, type B violations, type C violations. They have different fee amounts that are associated with them and um, consequences. And keep in mind that those penalties are per violation. So if you have, you know, 20 different IMP workers under the International Mobility Program, then this could be times 20. So be really Mm -hmm. careful about that. So what happened as of September 26, 2022, is that there were a few new requirements in terms of what employers have to do. And there's basically a little information sheet about What employees need to know about their rights in Canada before they start work and there's a different little information sheet for the temporary foreign worker program and there's one for the IMP so make sure that you're sending your employee the right information sheet. And not only are you supposed to send it to them, but you actually have to log the date you sent it to them and an acknowledgement from them that they received it and so. I've found that the best way to do this is to actually put it right into that employment agreement. Have that hyperlink, the employee signs off, yes, I've read it and I understand. Um, The next thing is making sure that not only has each employee individually received it, but the company is posting those notices somewhere on their premises in a commonly accessible location. It could be electronically posted somewhere on like an intranet or it could be like in the coffee room, somewhere that employees will actually see it and make sure to post both of them. If you have workers under the IMP and TFWP, make sure to post both of those notices. We'll talk about the signed employment agreement in a second, but also making sure that the workplace is free from abuse and that encompasses all types of abuse, psychological, physical, mental abuse and making sure that and mark you talked about this a little bit you know there is no situation where that employee should be paying a recruiter to take the job with your canadian company so if you are using a recruiter really really understand how that recruiter is interfacing with the potential candidates make sure that the employer the canadian employer is paying that recruiter that recruiter cannot be receiving a penny from those temporary foreign workers or from workers under the imp and that is a serious violation Um, making sure of course under the imp that so you don't have to have Access to healthcare as part of the IMP. Like you don't have to provide healthcare payments for the worker, but you do have to make sure that the worker is able to access healthcare in the event of an emergency at the workplace, or that if they are critically injured or become ill at the workplace, they can go and seek medical attention. So those are important things that have happened. And then the last most important one is this whole issue of assigned employment agreement.
0: And that's, that's an interesting thing too, Alicia, because we were just, I was just filing an LMIA yesterday, reviewing the the rules under the temporary foreign worker program. And, you know, for as long as I can remember, we always, always included that offer uh, at the time in which we submitted for, for employer, you know, for, for named LMIAs, um, you know, contract that was signed and dated when you, when you filed the LMIA. And now the instructions say, you are not required to do that, but be you know, but be prepared to ensure it's all signed and everything once the, you know, once the LMIA is approved. Well, that's not the case with this, right? The reality is you're, you, now you, you need to have this fully executed before the the offer is actually submitted.
1: Mm-hmm. And and we're lawyers, Mark, and using the terminology signed employment agreement is very problematic, Right normally that means in contract law employment contract law terms that it's a proper employment agreement and immigration is saying oh no well it doesn't necessarily mean a contract of employment it means a document that's signed with key terms about the wage the location of work the main job duties um, benefits and vacation and the problem is they've not put this in writing anywhere they've just kind of on the side communicated this and there are lots of situations under the IMP where employees are getting parachuted in yeah. and there's yeah, all there's sorts of did, issues yeah. with this. Mm-hmm. And so keep in mind that there's this new requirement that there's some sort of written employment agreement and that is not a defined term under immigration's employer portal. Yep. But basically they need the key terms so that they can deal with employer
0: compliance. Yeah, and so what? what is... You know, what is the best practice in those circumstances well you know i remember after one um one conference i don't know if it was the lso summit or what it was but one of the pieces of feedback that came was well an email you know sending out these are the terms and then and then if this is an intercompany transfer for instance and then the individual responds back yep i read understand and agree and okay that's good enough or someone saying well just you know just have them uh, just hand sign you know, uh, just a simple little sheet that says these are the terms and, you know, they can just acknowledge that they've read it and agree to it, right? And even those things, like it's it's completely devoid of, of um, any uh, recognition of employment law. And uh, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just really, really <laughs> strange that they're so hung up on this. And once again, it's not these types of situations that they're trying to capture. It's the least common denominator. It's like the worst of worst scenarios where people are being exploited. And, um, I know I don't want the podcast to go too long here, but there's so many stories we can tell, but I had, you know, I'm working with a client right now who has got lots of issues up in the Yukon, up in Whitehorse. the employer got an LMIA, um, made the individual work, not only longer hours without pay, but also, uh, you know, not just in the restaurant, but she was also a seamstress. So they had her working in a seamstress shop as well. And, uh, all of this, um, Just total exploitation outside the parameters, and this was a temporary under the temporary foreign worker program. But this is what they're trying to capture, and you know, unless the worker is willing to come forward, which they very rarely are, um, it's it's a losing battle. Like this tsunami of 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 corruption and tsunami of of fraud that exists within these programs. When there's money to be made, you know, there's all kinds of creative actors, and we're not even touching the whole world of fake employers and you know applying for work permits and where the whole situation is fraud but yeah this is what they're trying to combat and so the straightforward situations are forced to go through these hoops to you know to allow the officer to check off a series of boxes without actually understanding that the you know and taking into consideration that the changing circumstances and. You know, how in these situations, often with intercompany transfers, where the person is transferring within the same company, you don't need these kinds of protections in place, you know, sophisticated, sophisticated foreign workers. But that's just the way it is. Yeah.
1: So keep in mind that the rule is that employers have to give a fully executed copy of this, you know, employment agreement, whatever you're going to envision that to be to the foreign worker before submitting the offer of employment through the IRCC employer portal. So that is the rule. And if there is an employer compliance audit, make sure that you have proof of that, that you can show it. So be really careful about that. Um, We know that it doesn't fit very well for a lot of these parachuting situations. This is an alligator we've got to wrestle with. So that is the problem with this the new rules that came out and the employer portal. The other thing that I wanted to to quickly touch on was as an employer, be very careful that doing the employer portal is not the end of the story. right? If you're bringing somebody in and they happen to be in a regulated occupation, the fact that they have this offer of employment and the A number and the O number does not mean that you're home free they still have to make sure that they are authorized to work in the type of job that they will be working in. And at the end of the day, the employee actually needs to go and properly apply for a work permit. So be very careful about that. Make sure they understand the ultimate requirements of the job and they're properly documenting their suitability and eligibility for that type of permit. In terms of the mechanics of the employer portal, these things time out, I have been pulling out my hair with the employer portal. Um, try all the regular tricks, try using different browsers, try clearing your cache, try incognito windows. I actually have a separate Word document where I'm cutting and pasting all of the long text boxes that talk about like job duties and things like that. And the reason that the company fits the LMA exemption, I have that in a separate Word document. So when the portal inevitably crashes, I can just go and cut and paste all that information again, so be careful with that. And you and I were talking to Mark about this whole issue of the reason that the LMI exemption fits this situation. And there is a question on the employer portal that says, you know, explain why you fit the employer um, portal and you can do an LMI exemption instead of having to get the LMIA. So make sure that you're using the right code from that drop-down list and that you're explaining it. And there is an issue about whether you explain it all in the little box or whether you try to attach it as a letter of explanation after, or maybe you do a little bit of both, because there seems to be a sentiment that unless you've typed it into the box, it's not getting properly logged in their system.
0: So best practices, you know, I, I think for so, Alicia and I, what what are your what are your thoughts on best practice? I have my own view, but um, what are your thoughts?
1: Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that your character limited out and so basically I try to put bullets of what the key reasons are that they fit within that my exemption let's say they're an intercompany transferee and then I say see attached because usually there's a letter of support from the employer that we've helped to draft that we're uploading.
0: And we'll see how this plays out as well because we have heard some rumblings that the officers don't want to consider any explanations that are not within that box because it's not automatically, mm-hmm. um, you know, populated within GCMS. And if there's, if you're including as counsel a submission letter or a letter of support from the employer and using that as the basis for explaining why the person is a specialized knowledge intercompany transferee, um, you know, there were some rumblings that an officer they wouldn't consider that. Now, personally, I think that's. I think you can you can defend yourself very well but be aware of it um, because on mm-hmm. an uh, you know on an inspection if an officer says well you didn't provide enough evidence you know to show that the person actually met it now remember even if you have the offer of employment and you're still applying for the work permit you're still going through that whole mm-hmm. mechanism to establish that the person does meet the parameters of that IMP work permit category so um, you know rarely is that is that going likely going to be an issue but hey, when it comes to audits, um, they are becoming much more expansive. So just be aware of it.
1: Mm-hmm. And then here, here's the tip. So t- in order to try to circumvent or prevent the pain and suffering that I had to go through when my two-factor authentication verification code on the payment wasn't received within 120 seconds, then make sure that you Before, so everything's finished, you've drafted that offer of employment, before you go to do the payment, go back and duplicate it. And it won't duplicate everything, it won't duplicate like the the worker's passport information and name, but it'll duplicate the the longest stuff. Go back and duplicate it and then go to their original one and try to submit that one. And that way, if it gets hung up on the payment, you at least can go back and resurrect part of your work. So that is my tip. Uh, The other thing is keep in mind that that draft offer, once you've started it, it's going to expire within 60 days. You can't have them indefinitely. So if you do want to kind of reuse, if you have similar types of employees coming, go in and duplicate them every every couple months and make sure that you have one sitting there so that it's ready to go. Uh, $230 payment. The A number is what is absolutely essential that's issued as part of that employer offer that's filed the owner is the payment proof and the o number is going to disappear it's going to flash on the screen it's going to have payment confirmation and you better take a screenshot of that because and this is a huge flaw and if anybody is listening who's designing this employer portal please 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 have a mechanism of proving what your O number is and having a receipt that actually goes back to the user who show who's able then to show proof of having submitted that O number right now there's nothing but make sure you take a screenshot. Otherwise, you'll lose that.
0: Exactly. All right. But once you've got all of this done, Alicia, it's not done. It's not over. This is just step one for the employer. And then mm-hmm. what's left?
1: Mm-hmm. And now it's trying to figure out what's the nationality of your employee. So are they a US citizen or permanent resident? Do they only require an ETA to come to Canada? Or are they visa required? And that's going to determine your place of application and method of application on the work permit side itself.
0: You bet. And we've talked a little bit about that, but we'll definitely get into more details. And uh, yeah, this is it's hard to believe that we could cover a whole episode um, just talking about the employer portal. But those who are using it recognize that truly there is a ton of pain and suffering. And when, you know, especially we do, we deal a lot with flat fee billing with our clients. And for many of us, we just kind of accepted that the employer portal is now another part of our obligation and our fees didn't necessarily reflect that. But literally this employer portal portion can be almost equal to the amount of time it takes to prepare the application in the first place, especially when you start to run into problems. So so govern yourselves accordingly, everyone, and uh, and uh, yeah, Alicia shared some great tips here. Um, our next episodes will be diving right into the free trade agreements, so you definitely don't want to miss those. These are kind of the best kept secret within the international mobility program. We tend to you know focus on obviously if it's a U.S. or, or Mexican citizen, everybody knows NAFTA and now CUSMA. But there are a number of uh, international free trade agreements that we have with other countries. And if you know the citizenship, once again, like Alicia indicated, uh, nationality of the individual, you may very well find that there is a a nice LMIA exempt option uh, through these international free trade agreements. So stay tuned for those and watch those in our next ones coming up. All right. Thanks so much, Alicia. And uh, we'll close with a little message from our sponsor and uh, we'll wrap things up.